buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. What is happening, sales hustlers? Today is a special episode. Today is not like any other episode that we've ever done before. And, you know, we've now hit over a hundred episodes of Sales Hustle, which is crazy. And we wanted to celebrate that. So we put together something really special of highlighting some of our best favorite moments from the first hundred episodes of Sales Hustle. And number one, we want to thank all of our listeners and supporters. We want to thank all of our fantastic guests that have made Sales Hustle such a success and being a part of our first 100 episodes. So we hope you enjoy today's episode and some things to expect that are coming up. If you're interested in joining the waitlist and getting early access to the Sales Hustle community, text the word HUSTLE to 424-401-9300 to make sure you get on the list and get early access. All right, enjoy today's episode. So I've got a question for you. I got to ask you now. You called them sales bosses. (laughs) Explain that. Well, I I just, instead of trying to distinguish between a C-level and a director level and a, a frontline sales manager, it's just sales bosses. It's easier. My shorthand for the sales hierarchy. And yeah, there are a lot of problems there. And yeah. I've been one for a long time. And so I'm perfectly aware of the problems. I'm not perfect by a stretch of the imagination. But I think we're, again, as I said earlier, I think we're kidding ourselves about just how modern our selling is. And the impetus for change has to come from the management level. So what I hear you're saying is adapting the, pro- the, the, the sales process to meet the buyer's needs and where they are, and also being flexible with it as well, because people are going to come in at different stages based on, you know, how much of your content they've consumed, how many of your resources, if hopefully you're making those available in the right places. Um, And they might be at the beginning, they might be a little bit further along, but nobody's asking these buyers, like, what have you done? Where are you at? What do you need? How can I help? Right. And all of these things to just really be a resource to help them make a decision, mm-hmm. even right. if that decision is not you. Right. Exactly. Maybe the best solution is not your solution. And you need to be wise enough to point that out and then maybe point them in the right direction. Because if you do that, they're going to trust you. Uh, they'll come back to you when it is the right solution. They'll take you w- with them if they move to a new company that needs that solution. They'll know to call you, or they might be happy to refer you to someone else. Yeah. Now, 
There's such an important piece out of what you just said that I want to dig deeper on because I don't want anybody to miss it. And what it is, because you talked a little bit about your why, what motivates you, which is super important because you had your own personal story of your business failing, which was your motivation to want to help other businesses not fail, right? But what you did with that is you created a story. You created a story which helped you sell. You created a story that resonated with folks to want to hear more. You understood the problems and the challenges that they might have in not and not that would avoid that, not allow them to get to where they maybe want to go or provide the type of level of service that they would want to. So that's such an important piece that's like the art of selling. Yeah. And I mean, you said it. It's not in the dictionary yet, but story selling, it's so important. What's your story? People can people can refute anything that you said, but my story is my story. Let's get into some, some tactical things for people yeah. just getting into sales. Like, what are some things based on your you know experience and the different environments that you've worked in and the training that you've you know provided for folks and you know things from the book like what are some you know good sound pieces of advice that you give people just getting into sales i think the first thing because everyone wants like the tactics and the strategies and tell me what to say tell me what to how right. to ask for the sale and tell me all these things the, and, and I wrote the book in the same way I think people should approach things, which is the first part is self-awareness, which will lead to the authenticity. But you really have to know who you are first. Whether your organization provides you know, le- leadership training, professional development, don't just rely on that. You're, you're fortunate if, you, if your company has that, number sure. one. And even if you do are getting that, don't just rely on that. There still needs to be more to push yourself further, faster, uh, to really master your craft of sales. And if you don't have anything at all, then you better get be getting out there and getting what you need to further yourself. That's right. Yeah. And you, I mean, people are willing to help. You know, like you will be shocked how oft, how awesome people are and how many people will help you if you just ask. How are you being creative in your role? to you know, drive more outcomes. And what are some examples of that that people can maybe try or do or get started if they're trying to figure out like, how do I be more creative? How do I create these videos? What should I do in these videos? How should I read out, reach out? When's the right time to use these videos? Tell me a little bit about your experience of like being creative in your role. Thank you, yes. I think there's the first easiest way to start is depending on who you're selling to, right? You could have a highly technical role where these things aren't as relevant, whereas I'm selling to people who are in sales, in recruiting, they're heads of talent, they're used to seeing these kind of creative outreach strategies. But the first thing is pick some podcasts that are relevant to your buyer persona, figure out who um, who you're reaching out to, who's on that podcast or the relevant information that they have, and just start to drop little value ads on LinkedIn, on their comments, on their activity, on emails, not asking for anything first, just providing value as much as possible, giving them shout outs on LinkedIn, wherever you can, so that you can gain this clout and familiarity with the people that you're reaching out to every day. I think that for some reps reaching out, they might not, they might have a plan in mind of how the call is going to go. And then they can get a little bit caught up when it doesn't maybe go as planned. Right. You bring up a great point. The, the whole cold calling that I teach starts with intent. Where calls come off the rails is when your intent in making a call is to book a meeting. 
Mm. I know that sounds a little counterintuitive, but when your intent is to book a meeting, you end up saying things and sounding in ways that actually sound very pushy because you're trained from a young age to get things, get on the Dean's list, get straight A's, get to be first, get to the top, get 50 emails, book 50 calls. And so book this demo. And so when you bring that get mentality in your vote, your voice changes, your tonality changes and prospects can sense the push. And when prospects sense the push, they pull away. So I teach a different intent is to let go of that and instead just focus on getting to the truth behind every conversation you have with a prospect. A lot of people want that silver bullet. They want that playbook. They want that script. They want that binder you know, yeah. that you described. They say this, I say that. And it's just it's just too dynamic. Like, you know, you, you ask good questions that lead to other questions and and, and it could feel overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah, so one of the things, I, I've written three books now. So the first book is called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. You don't get to name your books, the, the publisher does. So I thought it was a bad name because we have a three book deal. So I'm like, <laughs> but it's not the only one. We're selling them two more, right? And they're like, yeah, but no one will remember. Everyone remember. My book came out, my second book was 10 months later. So the second book is called The Lost Art of Closing. And the lost art of closing is a way to look at the structure of this conversation. First, I have to ask you for time. Then I have to ask you to explore change. Then I have to ask you, does it make sense to change before this becomes a bigger problem or before it's um, something that you're going to have to do? And then can we collaborate on what a solution looks like? That's a commitment. Can we build consensus on your team? Another commitment. That's five so far if you're counting. Mm. Six, I need to talk about money. There needs to be an investment conversation. I need you to review the solution and make sure it's exactly right. I need your team to tell me whatever concerns they have so I can resolve those concerns. And then I can ask you for the business. So the decide is number nine. Then at 10, I need you to execute. When I changed to more of a helping mindset, and this is you know in my LinkedIn bio, and I went from always be closing to always be helping, sales changed for me. It was no longer difficult. It was no longer, you know, a struggle to just jam things down the pipeline. And when you really are, you know, serving and helping, sales becomes so much easier in so many different ways, so much more fulfilling, and there's no limit. 100% correct. Uh, and uh, you, so you subscribe to the ABH model. Yeah. Always be helping. Uh, and that's really what sales is all about. And, and if you want to make the big commission checks, if you want to make the big dollars, then you've got to be looking for what is the pain that someone has that your product or service could help. Really good salespeople at the core are people who, you know, they pick up things by listening. They're curious. I think that, you know, you asking for feedback, that was huge. People weren't teaching that, you know, and... Another and to add to that, when people say no or don't buy from you, ask them why, because that feedback is equally as valuable. Yeah, you know, and, and it's why I'm a firm believer. I've written several articles on it. I think feedback's the breakfast of sales champions. Mm -hmm. And I, it's just, you know, I keep going back and, and no one ever coached me on this. But I always say, it, so I'm going to stick up for salespeople just for a second, Colin, 
because yeah. I'm a firm believer in this, that salespeople are products of their environment. And you know that old saying, right? Um, even in our personal lives, your products of your environment, your products of how you were raised. Well, I was raised in an environment where we were curious and we asked a lot of questions. It was how my parents were raised. It's how they raised me. Now, granted, you know, my dad grew up and he turned out to be this brainiac rocket scientist guy. And, you know, the apple fell real far from the tree with me because I wasn't book smart, but I was street smart. But I took how I was raised and I transferred that out into the sales world. And that's what I learned the first year is the more I asked questions and the more I asked why and the more willing I was to learn, I knew the impact it was going to be. You said, you know, people are doing things to make their managers happy or hit their quotas or whatever, right? So their activity or looking like they're busy. So why is that? Like, do they, do they need to rethink the way they're selling, which I know is something you like to, you know, we talked about planning, mm -hmm. you know, disconnecting, sending their tech on vacation. Like, <laughs> what are the things that they need to do to rethink sales? I think 99% that might be low of salespeople <clears throat> do not act with enough intention. It's wind me up and let me go. Okay. Well, in which direction did you point me after you wound me up? Right? People don't think about that. You have to think about what we want to accomplish. We have to think about why we want to accomplish it. And we need to think about how to best accomplish it. And that does not need to be a long process. You don't need to sit for 45 minutes a day in a quiet spot with a candle lit to, to, to identify what that is. On a day-to-day -day basis, all you might need to do is reaffirm or tweak that a little bit. There are three stages that we coach and train on that I'm going to talk about right now. And if I were to start a new job, I would. this yeah. is exactly what I would do. So we eat our own cooking. You know what I mean? Like I'm constantly updating our, our playbook because I learned something. I mean, I just got ghosted last week. I, I don't get ghosted a lot. I was like, damn it, I know exactly why I got ghosted. And then I, I, I got a maybe, yeah, just, I got a maybe. Which just I tell me no, so I can go I away. Exactly <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? But but here's the thing about maybes, and I'll get into your question, is we, we laugh about this in our on our cohorts and our, our clients and stuff, <laughs> we always laugh. You know, we have our little ring ring. You know, we celebrate, and we also have our wah wah when somebody gets mm. a maybe or they get ghosted because it's not their fault, it's your fault. You didn't ask the right question. That's your fault, not their fault. People yeah. get pissy about getting ghosted. It's like, what didn't you do? You're not going to blame your prospect. They don't owe you that. What didn't you do? Let's go to the next one. We talked about products, uh, people over products, community over commission. And what's the next one we're going to jump into? Uh, experiences. Experiences over performing pitches. You know, we believe that it's it's much more relevant for people to get an experience instead of a pitch and in anything and everything when it comes to sales. So you got a cold call, give somebody an experience. And the identity of an experience is vast. I don't think that we really want to put a label on the experience itself. You know, I, I when I say that, it doesn't mean that you have to, like, go and wash their feet you know, and cook them dinner. And, you know, I'm not talking about that. I, and sure, like that could play in to some extent, right? Depending on who it, who it is, like you're trying to sell your wife on a, that new boat that you're trying to buy that give her a good experience, you know, leading up to the ask, right? But the point is, is that people are very used to others calling them and saying, hey, do you have this much time for me to pitch you something? Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, 
can I tell you about you know the things that my company fixes that I know you have pains around and all these things you know people talk about all the little triggers that you can use psychologically to get somebody to listen well the, the point in case of it all is is that the buyer understands that it's a manipulation tactic to get them to take a meeting and buy something from you even if they if they agree to the call and even if they agree to the appointment you they're still in a place with them where they're they're holding you at a you know a 10 with a 10 foot pole you know away from them you just don't recognize that you know until you get to the end of the deal and they say hey we went ahead and got two more quotes while we were at it uh, and you're the most expensive but we'll give you a chance to to beat the price since you were the first one in the deal in the door you know and or and or, or even or even better like hey you 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 were more expensive but but we don't care because we feel like you're the best fit <laughs> and that's that's when the experience is good right then it then the rest of it doesn't matter i want to talk a little bit about maybe the seller that was is maybe stuck in that cycle of of the activity-based stuff, right? And kind of switching to more of a strategic approach, which is what you talk a lot about, um, and being more intentional about what you're doing and, and, and doing the research and making sure there are people that you can actually help. How Are those two different types of sellers or how can a seller that's not used to that approach transition to that? Like, where do they start? Yeah, I think um, it is two types of, types of sellers for sure. I think part of it, has to do with what you sell okay if you mm -hmm. sell a, a a hammer you're going to be looking for nails okay if you sell one product that's very specific for example i coach somebody who um sells automation for testing for application testing so she's going to the heads of testing in software development companies or large organizations that have software divisions that are building products and helping talk to their head of testings or their CIO. She's not gonna to go to the head of sales, she's not gonna to go to the service, she's going very specific to the leaders that um, are, are buying what she's selling. So I, I think the, the nature of what you sell can Im impact how strategic you have to be. And the thing is, I think so many people can get no's yes. and give up so easily without, without that sort of mindset of prospecting, um, you know, because, oh, not interested. That, that's not a hard no. It's not a hard no. Not interested is not a hard no. That's like you probably caught them at a bad time. They're just not really up for taking your call right now. You didn't do a good job in your messaging or what you said. Um, that's not a hard no. Call those people back, please. Call them back, yes. yes. No, that's big time. I One of the things, if I'm kind of making it maybe a little bit more tactical, practical right now. One of the things that I'm doing is... Um, there's a really there's a there is potentially a really big opportunity to optimize what we're doing right so like in in the segment that i'm in we're going after companies that have uh an employee base of no more than 250 people right small medium-sized businesses and mm -hmm. even within like even within that segment there's so many different like there's so many different like archetypes of of or uh of companies right so you can have like the little mom and pop shops that are never going to grow you're going to have like the seed, like no, the, the seed funded startups. You're going to have like the Series A, B startups, right? They're going to be they're preparing themselves to to scale, right? To get up into a mid market base. So, like one of the things that I'm, I'm realizing, like, all right, hey, we have a huge book of accounts. We have all these different like company personas within there as well. 
and we're like running through these things, but are we actually taking the time to look through like, where are we getting connects and where are we getting responses? And like, rather than mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, all right, how do I take this 1100 book, like this, this book of 1100 accounts, where can I actually get my quota from? And like, how many accounts do I need to work? It's like, just go to the people you've already talked to. Like for the people who gave you a soft no, a not interested, they gave you an objection and you did not handle it. Like that is going to be like, those are going to be the companies and those are going to be the prospects that will get you to hitting your quota. And this is really important when recruiting salespeople to know, you know, is it something they're going to be passionate about? Um, So talk to me a little bit about like recruiting the right sales talent, maybe specifically millennials. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing I think about is a lot of sales managers and sales leaders now, especially at that like frontline level, are millennials, they're 25, 26, 27, and they're put in that position because they were good at sales and they closed some business. That's not always the right person to put in there because sometimes people are just better sellers than leaders, right? Yeah. You know, Andy Reid is one of, going sports analogy, is one of the best coaches in the world, but and he played football, but he was marginally good, but he wasn't great. You know, not everyone has, you know, not every good coach is a great player and not every great player is going to be a good coach. And it's first and foremost, really important to analyze why are you putting people in leadership positions and putting the right people in those positions. The second piece is interviewing. When you have wrong people in those positions, they don't know how to interview. No one's gone through an interview training course. So you're interviewing salespeople that you can have a beer with because you like the Yankees and you like this. Yeah, they'd be a good fit for a team. We like the Yankees. You can go out and have beers on Friday after work, but are they the best seller? So as we're looking at bringing in these, you know, building sales teams, it comes down to, you know, what do millennials want in a role? They want the ability to make an impact, right? And that impact doesn't need to change the world. It could just be the chance they have for growth opportunities. It could be because the impact is the product that they're selling. It could be that the space that they're helping serve. They try to teach you about open and closed-ended questions, right? Yeah. But here's the the single, what do you think the single most important thing is about open and closed-ended questions? There are two, the, but I'll take, let's do the single one. Well, I think number one, like, is it the right question or the right time? Nope. To ask the question. Nope. <clears throat> I failed. <clears throat> right. Where's the sound effect? No, the, the most important thing about open-ended questions is it forces us to shut up. So know why you're asking them before you decide which questions to ask. And once you realize, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to talk now. What do I want them to talk about? What do I need them to talk about? Now I can formulate the open-ended questions. Closed-ended questions, right? They don't talk about this very much. Yes and no. When your brain hears the word no, it releases destructive neurochemicals, fight or flight. So when you cold call and you get no, that's why we don't like it. That's why we have to amp ourselves up because we're already thinking negatively. We have negative chemicals going on in our brain. Here's the, here's the rub. When you hear the word yes, your brain doesn't do anything. So you're predisposed to negativity and your body reacts to negativity from, in a physiological way. Now. Does that mean, you know, once I know that, does it mean I'm not going to have that problem? No, not at all. What it really means is that now you can at least create a little bit of, I call it two centimeters of space. Give yourselves two centimeters between what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And in that two centimeters, you can create a deep breath, an exhale, 
a little bit of a disconnect from the emotional piece so that mm. it doesn't have as much of an effect on you. Trust is the foundation from which all sales are created. Mm. Then you really begin to say, okay, now we're talking about how do you create integrity? How do you create a level of confidence? How do you, how do you really become a person of influence and impact with people you come in contact with? Then, you know, you start putting that paradigm in place and it changes everything about how you look at sales and more importantly, how the customer looks at you. Mm, mm. Okay. And so how does somebody who's maybe struggling, like where do they get started to try to adopt some of these things? Well, first of all, what you got to focus in on is not what you sell. I, I don't really care what yeah. anybody sells and I, I really don't even care how they sell. What I care about is why they sell. Now, I'm not, I'm not copying Simon Sinek. He wrote the book, Why, and I you know, understand. But it, it, it's why. We're in sales to help people see and achieve what they did not think was possible. That's what our objective is. Help them see and achieve what they did not think was possible. 